And I think in this world, we're really conditioned like success and fail. There's no middle ground. You're successful or you're a failure. And you have to go one way or the other. But there is, you're so right, there is a middle ground. And all of that is called learning and growing. And that's also okay. You can still be headed towards success and be in that learning and growing and making mistakes and learning and growing. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to this episode of Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, a Quantivos coach and your host. And my guest today is Janet Redwine. Janet is Director of Program Success for Executive Education in the Daniels College of Business at the University of Denver. Welcome, Janet. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and to chat with you today. I really appreciate it. Janet, our conversation today is on turning points. And when you and I were exchanging emails before we actually came online here, um, you said this was something that was important to you. So let's start there. Why is this topic so so top of mind for you today? Yeah, absolutely. So I think when I look back at my career, I can identify like certain turning points where I feel like I, I came to a juncture and I made a decision and I took a direction and that kind of like paved the way for what I did in my life. And so when I when I kind of look back and I reflect on that, I think that that has become something that kind of it's it's been it's been something that's kind of propelled me and something that I you know I look back on and I'm like oh yeah that decision is what kind of led me to where I am today. Um, but I also don't think I look at it as in like a fatalistic, like if only I hadn't have made that decision. I think I look at it more optimistically in that the decisions I made opened all these doors for me and provided me with this opportunity. And that's why I have some of this. I have had some of the successes that I've had in my career. I want to dig into how we recognize those turning points. But before we do, I want to ask you a little bit about your trajectory, because here you are, director of program success in, in an executive education program, and your career started much earlier than it starts for many of us because you were an Olympic swimmer. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I um, competed in the 2008 Olympics for um, the United States in the sport of what is now called artistic swimming. At the time that I competed, it was synchronized swimming. It's the same sport. It's just kind of done a rebrand. Um, so I, I, I would say my career started when I was maybe pursuing that. Um, and I, I mean, I've been swimming ever since age 10, but I wouldn't say I was on an Olympic path necessarily until, um, probably into my twenties, um, synchronized swimming slash artistic swimming is a sport where you don't have to be young and talented to be successful. Um, so when I went to the Olympics, I think I was 24, 25, 
Um, and so I was competing at an, an elite level starting maybe around age 19, 20. So that's kind of where I say that my career started. I think when I look back at that, I think of that, I, I when I finished swimming, I thought of that as just like, that's my time swimming. And now, like, oh, the rest of my life begins. But now that I've had a few years since then, I think of it more as that really was a career. That was the starting point of my career. And I see so many overlapping um, skills, lessons, toolkits, whatever you want to call it that I I learned being an, an elite athlete that I now have translated kind of into the business world and into, um, you know, work and life. I think that's such an important point that we learn lessons and whether we acknowledge them or not, they carry us forward. I started early too. I started in seventh grade as a bicycle delivery boy for my father's pharmacy. And, um, you know, so I learned early on about the discipline it takes to come home from school, hop on the bicycle, pedal two miles to the drugstore through rain or snow or sunshine and, and, um, to make sure I get my schoolwork done. And, and so self-discipline came to me very early as a lesson, but it's still something that sticks with me. So looking back at those experiences, even when they may have been less than pleasant for some of us, um, they are lessons for us. Absolutely. Before we get to the turning point, I want to actually reflect on a podcast I did um, a while back with Ellie Gould. And Ellie talks about something, and I'm going to use my language. Uh, I also talk about it. But in our podcast, she used the example of Michael Phelps. And she talked about how because he had a goal, which was to stand on that Olympic podium, when he was standing on the podium, his goal was achieved, and it actually, even at that point, began to trigger depression in him. And Ellie talks about, she uses different words than me, but how important it is to have aspirations because they open up the door to possibilities um, where goals keep us sort of target focused on something that we may never not may never achieve. I'm curious as to how goals and aspirations have played out in your career path. Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think it's something that a lot of elite athletes, but also um, people have reached a certain pinnacle or successful point in their lives experience. I think athletes is a great example of that because you work and you work and you work and you achieve something, an Olympic medal, being a professional athlete, being drafted, whatever it is. And then you're like, oh, wait, now what? Now what? Now what do I do? Um, I think I was very fortunate in that my goals were really always aspirations. I said from a really young age, um, when I was making the decision, and this kind of goes back to that turning point, I, when I graduated high school, I had to make a decision. Where am I going to school? Am I going to continue swimming? What does that look like? Um, so I decided to keep swimming. I went out to California. I went to Santa Clara University, and I swam competitively there, not at the school, but just in that area. There's a really great local um, club. And my aspirations, even at that point, were not the Olympics. I always told myself and when people asked me this question, I wanted to be my best. I wanted to achieve great things, but I never said I want to go to the Olympics. I would have loved to go to the Olympics, but I always, it was always 
my intrinsic motivation that guided me. You know, I wanted to be better because I wanted to be better. I didn't want to be better because I wanted to win an Olympic medal. I always felt like the getting the the medal was the result of getting better and it wasn't the destination. Um, so I, I think in that regard, I was really fortunate that that was always my goal. And um, I didn't get an Olympic medal. I didn't feel disappointed afterwards. I, I got fifth. I think that's pretty awesome. I do think, though, that there there is an element of even when I was done, I did have to kind of reevaluate. And I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was depressed. I wouldn't say that I was lost. But I also felt like, oh, I've done this Olympic thing. Now I'm starting over. You know, I have friends and um, classmates that I went to school with that graduated the same time I did. And they're doing great things, right? They're working in organizations. They're working their way up. They're, they have great jobs. They are getting paid a lot. I'm like, I'm starting at the beginning with zero work experience. And I think it's taken me a while to realize that the work experience looked different. It looked uh, not not the same as other people's work experience when you like list it out on paper. But some of the lessons to your point um, about, you know, determination and drive and hard work and ethics and um, what it means to do your best, all of that. I had teamwork, cooperation, certainly with a with a team sport. You know, I had all of focus, that. Focus, focus. Absolutely. Pa- passion to achieve. Um, there's a lot that goes into what you accomplished. Right, right. How do you recognize a turning point? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think when I when I look back, I think my decision to continue swimming, that was a big turning point. When I stopped when I retired from swimming, I had gone to the Olympics when I decided what what am I going to do next? Um, that was a turning point for me. I wanted to pursue education. We, my husband and I ended up moving back to Denver. I think that was a big turning point. I think that, you know, changed the trajectory of our lives. If I had stayed in the Bay Area, I think my life would look really different now than it does. And I'm really thankful that we came back here. I'm closer to my family. I have two beautiful girls now and uh, we're close to my parents. So they have grandparents that they're growing up close by. To um, and then my decision to come here to the University of Denver. I was at a a nonprofit here in Denver, and I loved it. I had a great experience there. But this opportunity came up at the University of Denver, and I'm I have always wanted to go back to school. I graduated with my undergraduate degree in 2004, and I always said, you know, someday I want to go back to school. I want to get a master's. I want to continue learning. And so this provided that opportunity to be able to come here. Um, continue to work on my degree and work um, in this adult education space. I think that's been, it's been really amazing. I've been here for two, two and a half years now. And um, I think that decision, again, another turning point, it's it's really helped me grow professionally, but it's also opened this door into um, a world that being adult education, adult professional development that I would not have otherwise considered. I want to dig a little bit more into recognizing turning points. Yeah. And 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 as context for that, um, a little bit of neuroscience, the numbers tend to be uh, a little bit different in terms of what reaches our consciousness, but it's pretty consistent that we receive something like 11 million bits of data a second. Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. Some people say 136 plus or minus some say 150 plus or minus, some say 110 plus or minus. It really doesn't matter because that is such an infinitesimal percentage of the data that 
comes into us. And so our unconscious really filters what gets into our consciousness. And very often people will say, the door opened in front of me, or you know, just at the right time, I met the right person. My sense of that is you could have met that person at a different time and you would not have recognized that that was a door, that that was a turning point for you because you weren't ready. Yeah. How did you recognize the turning points that came to you? That's a really great question. Let me think about that for just a second. I do feel like there's an element of uncertainty and fear, right? When you are truly in a place where there you've been going, you've been going along one way. Inertia is a powerful, powerful force. It's not easy to make that change and go in a different direction, you know, whatever it is, get to make that change. And so I think there's an element of like you you have to be in a place where you're you're okay with that challenge. You're okay with that uncertainty. You're willing to accept it um, for you to be able to make that change and see that opportunity. Um, I think for me, part of that might've been COVID. You know, looking back, I think it probably was for a lot of people too, where it's like some, maybe one of the silver linings of that moment that I never want to go back to of us all being home um, was that all of a sudden you're thinking about what's really important and making a change in your life seems, oh, it is scary, but now I see that opportunity. So it's like eliminating that distraction. Um, I think other, I think other times when that has come up, it's, it's, um, it's maybe taking advantage of an opportunity to your point that you maybe didn't see already. You know, it just, it's, it's like the stars align and that opportunity just becomes like the, the thing that you should do, the thing that you're being pushed towards doing. And it, it doesn't mean that it's still not scary and uncomfortable, but it just means that it's, it's there and you're, you're able to observe that and take that in. I'm absolutely with you in terms of being willing to step into the unknown. And that's a scary, scary thing for any of us. You've done it. You've done it several times. I've, I've done it. And you know, many of those in our families and circles have done it. But we also know many people who, it's another day, it's another day, it's another day. And you know, in five years and 53 minutes, I can retire. Uh, what pulls you? You talked about being pulled. What pulls you into um, taking, having the courage and taking the risk to make those transitions? Yeah. I, again, I think I'm pretty fortunate. I've always had a lot of, I've always been very intrinsically motivated. I have never been someone who someone has to push me to work harder, push me to go in a certain direction. I feel that already. For me, it is, it's reaching a potential. It's being the best that I can be. It's doing something better. It's doing something greater. It's making a better impact. Um, and maybe for some people that's like to leave a mark on the world. For me, I just like want that for myself. I don't look at it as like, I want to be this person that goes down in history or, you know, it's, that's like not what motivates me. It's just like, I want to be great because I want, I want to do that for myself. I want to be, I want to be the best that I can be. I will always strive to work hard and do something better because I want, I want that, you know? 
So I think to your question about drive, I think it is, for me, it's pretty internal. It's that, it's that internal drive. I think so if, if you didn't have that kind of motivation, if that wasn't something that you just like felt drawn to, then maybe it is the work that you're doing. And maybe that's a, a cue to yourself to reevaluate and look at like, well, what does make me happy? What does make me feel fulfilled and successful? I think that's, you know, I'm, I'm in the study of leadership and what, what do good leaders do? I think that's a mark of someone who is a good leader is taking that time to step back and evaluate, you know, is this working? Why, why not? What fulfills me? What do I need to do to be fulfilled? How do I balance that knowing that not every moment of every day I'm going to feel like that, you know, so taking that time to reflect um, and move in, in a direction that helps you be more successful and feel more successful. Two things came to mind as I was listening to you. First is quantibos, which is Latin for choose to be your best. And, and that's really the motivation for us in, in the coaching that we do is helping people discover what that means for themselves and grow into it. Um, the other thing that comes to mind is my favorite question for uh, new clients who are finding themselves not happy where they are. And that's what makes your heart sing. It's clear and listening to you, that you keep listening to your heart. And, and sometimes what makes your heart sing is swimming. And at some point, that's not the same song anymore. I'm, I'm guessing you still swim, but, but it's a very different part of your life than it was back when you were um, swimming competitively. Right now, there's something else that makes your heart sing, and that's the transition point that that you made the change to come back to Denver to go back to school and so forth. Again, some people don't know or have lost touch with what makes their heart sing. As you're working, and and you're working in executive education with a different student population, if you will, than the traditional MBA student. Yes. How often, and this may or may not be a quantifiable question, but, but how often do you encounter students in the executive program who are doing this because it's the next thing they're supposed to be doing rather than it's because they really have a passion for developing this expertise? Yeah, oh, that's a really great question. And that's actually something that we talk about internally all the time, because in our classes, we have a mix, right? We have students who are there because they want to be there, because they're ready to take the next step and become a better leader, become better at finance, you know, whatever the case may be. But we also have students who someone in their lives, their manager, their uh, talent team has said, you, you, Janet, you're going to go to this class. I, so I think for us in executive education here, we really like to unpack that and then show this opportunity that it truly is an opportunity. You know, it is an opportunity and let's, let's look at it that way and let's, let's approach it this way. Let's approach it as someone who has never learned anything about any of this in, in their whole life. We're starting at zero. What does that look like? But there's this wonderful, wonderful opportunity 
to get so much better. And not because, you know, your boss at XYZ or, or corporation is telling you that, but because you yourself want to get better. What does that look like? And because then you yourself are getting better, that cascades to those around you, right? It cascades to the people you manage, the people you work with, the team, and then hopefully out to the organization. So I think that's um, that's one of the reasons why I'm here and that's why I'm excited about this work. It really is, it's a big impact. And I was I was in involved in sports so many for so many years that obviously had a big impact on myself. I always felt like someday I'm gonna be in an, in a position where I'm impacting others. You know, and I coached for years. I worked in a nonprofit, a very mission driven nonprofit. And and here, although we're not exactly a nonprofit, we're part of an educational institution, which is a nonprofit, but it's a little it's a little bit more complicated. But I still feel like we have that impact. You know, that we can help people transform and see a different a different way of leading. Listening to you reminds me, and some of our listeners have heard this story before. As I was training as a coach, I got a client who had was mid-career, had just quit his job to go back and get his PhD. And he wanted coaching because graduate student income is not the same as mid-career income. So he really wanted some coaching on how do I adjust my lifestyle to this new environment. And in our first session, I, I said to him, what was your motivation for making this change? And he said, I'm the only person in my family that doesn't have a PhD. And I sort of shuddered inside <laughs> because that didn't sound like a heart-driven decision. He lasted in the program literally two days and came back to me and said, that's not what is right for me. Help me figure out what it is. And you talked about, you know, my boss said, I need to go to this program. That's not a turning point. <laughs> right. <laughs> if anything, it's in, in awareness. Well, if your boss said, let me back up and tell a story again. My boss in 1988, one of my bosses, I, I was in a, at KPMG and I had, there were two partners in our practice. And one of them said, I love this new alliance we have with this change management firm in, in Atlanta. The other one said, this change management people stuff is nonsense. I don't have time for it. You're not billable. You're getting on a plane Sunday and going down to Atlanta to train. That was a turning point for me because I discovered that what I had been doing for the last 20 years actually had a name, had a profession, had a science behind it. But if I didn't connect with that, it could still be a signal to me that maybe what I'm doing is not what I really ought to be doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about which is what is pretty much the foundation of all our leadership programs. And that is self. It's self-awareness. It's finding out about yourself as a person, about yourself as a professional, how those two connect, how they coincide and how they collide. Um, and I think that's so important. And I think that's why, I think that's why a lot of times, even those people that we call it, they are voluntold 
to go to a program, even even those people, they have a great impact. The program has a great impact on them, right? Because by acknowledging that, setting it aside, and then really diving into, well, who am I as a person? What what makes me smile? What makes my heart sing? What makes me who I am? And then what do I want to do with that? I think then that just, again, leads to a happier person, happier team, happier organization. You know, one of the things I love about this conversation, listening to you, is our modalities are different. But what you're doing in executive education, what we're doing in our individual and group coaching really is um, very much the same. It's about fostering that reflection that puts me as the client in, in, in greater awareness of myself, who I am, sometimes the stories I'm telling myself that have become my truths that have no basis in reality, <laughs> um, and and really fostering that growth toward becoming your best. Right, right, absolutely. If you were to share just two or three of the turning point lessons that you have learned along the way, what would they be? Oh, that is a great question. Coaches are supposed to ask great questions. <laughs> um, I think one that comes to mind for me, a lesson that I learned in a in a in a change. I think that one is about one is about the fact that it is scary. I think change is never hard. I mean, it's never easy. It's all it's it's typically hard, and it's scary, and it's uncomfortable, and it doesn't always feel good. And I think that um, it's it's about that it's about the what you what you're going through is not indicative of where you're going to end up, right? So just keeping your eye on that um, on that end goal or end aspiration. When I moved from Colorado to California and I started swimming full time and I was going to school full time, I mean I was training. You know, I was going to school 40 hours a week. I was training 30, 35 hours a week, and that was not easy was not every moment of that experience was not something to look back on and like, well, those were the, those are the good old <laughs> days. It was hard and cold and, and hot and, <laughs> and uncomfortable, but it was also, you know, working towards something great. I think I like, I like to look at that as like, it's, it's, it's not the, it's not the destination, but it's the journey and it's the journey of what you go through to get there. And that journey is not always easy, but the, the, what you learn along the way is what's really valuable. So the discomfort and being, you know, being okay with that, acknowledging that. Another is maybe that I can think of, you know, now um, in my, you know, more adult life is, is confidence. You know, I think um, I am grateful of all of my years in sport because I think that taught me a lot of confidence. I think that gave me a lot. But then I think it took me a while to get back to that place. You know, it's, it's, it's easier to feel confident when you're one of the best in the world. It's a lot harder to feel confident when you're applying for entry level jobs, <laughs> right? So, so going back and and drawing on that and um, taking out the pieces and and trying to look at it in a diff different perspective. You know, it wasn't 
I can't put on a resume like, I spent eight hours a day in a pool. But what I can put on a resume is working towards that goal, perseverance, determination, you know, all of those kind of qualities. And I guess if I had to say one more, one more kind of like lesson from a turning point is that maybe turning points don't always have to be positive, right? You can you can come to a, a point, you can head a certain direction, and that cannot be right. And that's okay. You can turn around and then go try a different try a different direction too. And it doesn't mean that that time was wasted or that it was a bad decision or things like that. It can just be, it can just be. You can take the lessons that you learned from that experience. You know, I when I finished swimming, I started, um, I was thinking I might be, I might go into teaching. So I worked at a school for a couple of years and I realized that was not really what I wanted to do. And I don't look at that and say like, oh, that was a mistake because I wasn't happy there and I wanted to do something else. But it was it was a learning experience, right? It was, I learned that that's not what I want to do, that I don't want to go get my teaching credential, that I don't want to become a classroom teacher. But these are the things I did enjoy about um, about that process. I enjoyed impact on others. I enjoyed helping others reach their potential. I, en- I enjoy teaching, but there's aspects of that that I don't like. And so that's also a good, you know, a good, a good learning lesson, a good um, takeaway from that. Listening to your teaching trial, if you will, um, again, brings to mind my, my client I was just talking about a few minutes ago. And as a coach, we are not to guide our clients to a decision. We're to guide them to their decision. And it was very hard for me early on to not say, are you sure you really want to do this? And yet I look back and I think if I had convinced him not to do this, he would be angry with me and upset with himself that he didn't give it a try six years later, seven years Absolutely. later, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And and he learned, he learned very quickly in his case that this was not the right path. And that's learning, that's that's growth. And I think in this world, we're really conditioned like success and fail. There is no middle ground. You're successful or you're a failure. And you have to go one way or the other. But there is, you're so right, there is a middle ground. And all of that is called learning and growing. And that's also okay. You can still be headed towards success and be in that learning and growing and making mistakes and learning and growing. Janet Redwine, thank you so much for this conversation. My pleasure. My pleasure. It was great to be here. I loved I loved it as well. Brian, I really appreciate your time and having me on. It's a real honor. 